Welcome to the 206.com podcast. I am your host, Mark Morin, and you are listening to Diversity in Film, a 206 podcast series. This podcast series features in-depth interviews with filmmakers and industry experts discussing the topic of diversity in film. Look for episodes featuring director and activist Lin Chen, director and producer Emily Ting, executive director of the Northwest Film Forum, Vivian Hua, rapper Lex the Lexicon Artist, podcast host and film critic Isabella L. Price, world-renowned Disney film producer Don Hahn, director of marketing for Smart House Creative Amy Simon, film critic and podcaster The People's Critic Tim Hall, lifestyle blogger and film critic Aaron Hunley, actor, activist, and model Anna Lynn McCord. Thank you for listening to the 206.com podcast. Let's get to the interview. This is Mark Morin with the 206.com Diversity in Film podcast series. Today, I am speaking with Anna Lynn McCord. Hello, Anna Lynn. How are you? Hi, Mark. Uh, Forgive me if you hear birds chirping. I'm out in nature right now. (laughs) No, that's great. I I like the background noise. That's that's better than uh, maybe like if we were in the city with construction noise or or something like that. Yeah, much better. I I like the ambiance. Thank you for providing that. Yeah, so we are here to talk about diversity in film. So I'm just going to throw it out there right off the bat is when you hear that phrase, diversity in the film, what comes to mind? What does that mean to you right now? Well, actually, one of my closest friends and actress that I met when I first came out to LA, actually my first project in LA, she's my best friend of 14 years, Mieko Hillman, and she's an African-American Asian actress, and she's absolutely gorgeous, as you can imagine. That <laughs> that mix is that mix is stunning. She's half black, half Japanese, and born in the US, you know, but we we often talk throughout our relationship and our careers about, you know, we kind of, we were starting in the same place and I'm white and, you know, and I had all these opportunities and Mieko had some opportunities that she felt she had to say no to because they were stereotyping black women into this, the, she as she calls it, the angry black woman, you know, type of role or these different portrayals that just didn't reflect the it was very specific that this was supposed to be a black girl and it wasn't she's not just allowed to what have you know go out on any role and I think that when I think about diversity in film that's what I think about I don't understand why color ever comes into the question like that why doesn't the best actress get the role? Why doesn't the best actor get the role? And, and it be based on human aspects and, and talent versus, you know, and yes, we're trying to portray life and all the things, but according to whose viewpoint? And I think that that, it was for a long time, the male, white male viewpoint. And so the stories were written and played out in that regard. And in talking to Mieko recently, like just kind of having a conversation with her about the conversations that Black Lives Matter and the riots and the, the well, I don't, I don't personally call them riots. I think this is spiritual warfare is what I call it. Right, yeah, um, absolutely. That has taken place over the last couple of months. You know, she's, she's really grateful for the conversations that are being opened up. 
and and I've experienced you know like I've experienced I've gone all the way and then you know I've been told oh you know we we're going diverse so I've gone all the way through screen tests and all the things and then they are choosing to go diverse quote unquote and so Mieko and I talked about this and she said it's just as racist it's crazy it's like it's you know I didn't get it because of the color of my skin in this particular situation but it was an afterthought to add someone of a different race because clearly they had me go all the way through the process so it's like it's not being treated in the sense of who is the right person for the job talent like all the things it's being treated as this like well we got to make this look fair you know there's there's a little bit of that in the industry i think and i personally would like to see every specific role be written from the second that it's written on the paper the authenticity balance it from day one never the reason that i say that is because i took a time slot from an african-american woman or from an asian woman or from a latino woman that i should never have had the integrity of that role should have been from the beginning that this role was always going to be a black woman this role was always going to be an asian woman and then annalyn isn't going in and taking another wonderful actress's opportunity and because there's only so many hours during the day that the casting director sees the cast right so i've taken a time slot that i shouldn't be taking it should have been given to someone else. So I think there's a lot of conversations. I do, I, I've talked with a lot of my friends. I actually have the most diverse friend group in the world. I have <laughs> Korean, Black, Asian, Jewish, like I'm like the only white person in my friend group. And it just happened that way because I found wonderful people that I love and they happen to be of other races. And I think that that's something that we forgot we're human. <laughs> right, like, yeah. We look so much at color and, or you know, even in our subconscious processing that we forget that on the inside we're just bones and blood and it's all the same <laughs> on the inside. If you've seen excision, then you know it's all yeah. the same on the inside. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a really good example, which we'll touch on in a little while. Yeah, you bring up a really good point. It's really about that representation and what we see growing up, uh, what the examples are that we see in movies and TV and the media. It shapes our values and, and how we yeah. see people and and how we see ourselves. What do you feel that Hollywood can do better right now? Well, you make a point that I that I speak on a lot with just in personal, you know, conversations and whoever is whoever wants to listen. If I was a little African American girl or a little Latina girl or a little Asian girl growing up, born in 1987, growing up in the 90s, who when I turn on the TV and who when I go to the movies represents me? Where am I? I see all the white people. I see all of their amazing storylines. And I love them because they do their roles well and their stories are amazing. But where am I? Where do I fit in? And I think to that point, it is taking adult responsibility for the eyes of children. That's what Hollywood needs to do. We have children watching. How do we want our children to treat other children? Because we're giving them subliminal messaging that says, white ones are important that's what you're saying because they're the ones that get the good stuff right and so with our child or our children's minds in mind would we do things differently would we you know take into account again from the writing stage i put this a lot on the creators the visionaries I would hold to them that you set the role and the race, since we do see the world in color, I would say set it from the beginning that, and only allow time slots to the authenticity that you chose and choose those authenticities for the purpose of diversity, not because it's about the role itself. 
don't play into those stereotypes. If the actor, as that person representing their culture, wants to play into who they see themselves as versus a different group, let them be a part of the development. Let them be a part of the conversation. This is a wild dream, I'm sure. <laughs> any, any showrunners listening are like, this crazy chick. But why not? Right. Why not cast humans in roles? You know, I, I'm okay with women playing women and men playing men, but otherwise, let's cast humans <laughs> in the roles. And, you know, obviously, we have our non-gender identified friends and family who, who also want to be represented. So taking that into account without making it like some thrown through the back door, like last minute ditch, you know, oh, um, uh, uh, last minute, let's make sure that we have the right amount of numbers of these people that look like this don't be sleazy about it like right. you set an intention that you're doing this and I off I always go back to the child because I feel like if we take children into account and I mean there are movies that are not right for children but still in the within all of us is a child the inner child right. that wants to be seen and wants yeah, to be validated yeah we're all That's influenced uh, at any time at any point right yeah. yeah and the the more the more the child side of us is the child is the part that would be like see me am i here do you see me right. or am i invisible so for us to see all the colors of the world in that way and you know with women in film and and they you know the opportunities that have been given towards women i think there's an interesting dynamic there where there's such a push to have women directors and i've worked with women directors who shouldn't be directing and i think that there is something to be said for talent and i think right. creating more open doors and, and encouraging more women to go through the process to get the level of talent that they can get, you know, to be able to earn these roles too, where right. they feel good about themselves is important. And where actresses like myself, it's a little bit of a type A personality, <laughs> is like, I've worked with some women who are like killer directors. <laughs> and then I've worked with women who clearly got the job because they're a woman. And that hurts my work because if I have a female director or a male director who is not competent, I look bad as the actress because they're the ones who get to have the editing and the, the say later in post-production that I'm no longer a part of. So I, I would want to see more, I would want to see more empowering and uplifting educational programs and, and opportunities that not only are offered to women, because we do need more opportunities that because we're up against people who have had more opportunities, so they have more experience, so they are better sometimes right. as a result of just having had more experience. So more opportunities for women to have experience and to grow their talent so that when we actually are up there in the playing field, that we can rise to the occasion and, and have those opportunities under our belt. It's tricky. I mean, it's it's something that takes time, but I think that I think that the way it's like whispery and tiptoey, it should be like, look, we've screwed this up for a long time and we're <laughs> trying to do better. So everybody, let's all join. Like, let's not behind the backs of like, oh, let's make sure that we don't get, you know, yelled at by this article mm -hmm. or just be open. You fucked it right. up. Okay. <laughs> you fuck up. Well, You're human. Well, and that's, I think that's the real key there is just acknowledgement of what exists right now. Because, it's you know, the, screwed up. Let's yeah, change the, it. Yeah, the ideas that you're talking about, you're right. They are big ideas. They're sweeping ideas. They're things that are going to take time. There's not like a magic wand that's going to be waved and fixed. But that first step is really for Hollywood to say, this is where we're at. This is what we've done. Okay, now let's see what are we going to do moving forward and just take that first step.
just yeah. hire that person because they deserve it. Don't just try to fill a quota, you know, Absolutely. create an opportunity for an African-American slash Japanese woman or create yeah. an opportunity for a Korean director that's, that's never had that opportunity before. And then once they're able to establish themselves, then be like, okay, now there's somebody that can help grow from there. So no, that, that's yeah. a really good point. So I guess that was going to be my next question is what opportunities do you see for positive change, uh, which I guess would be that exactly is creating those opportunities for the people who deserve them. Yeah, I think it would be that. It would be creating really comprehensive programs that are accessible and financially affordable or, or free, ideally, if possible, with big studios and stuff. Or like even myself, I've shadowed directors. I've directed a couple short films and stuff. I would love an opportunity to grow and my awareness and my my education of the, all of the process of being on the other side of the camera. But for women who are coming in to this and have, you know, no background in being on set at all because they, they didn't come from necessarily being a, an actor or, or another role in film, they need time on set. I mean, you learn so much just from being on set. So being, having more of those programs, and I do know that they exist, but having more of them, really promoting them and making them accessible, I think would be incredible. And we're all about the zoom thing now so why can't you know why can't we have more opportunities that are virtual yeah one thing i've noticed during this phase that we're in of everything is on zoom is i've been watching a lot of q a's and um, commentaries and yeah and things even the josh gad the ones that he's done with the cast reunions and stuff like that and i've actually just as a movie fan and a film critic i've learned so much about movies and about how to make movies from just watching those things and those aren't necessarily the intent of what those are for, um, yeah. but so much comes out in those conversations. So I think that's probably that's another key is just having conversations and going yeah. out and not being afraid of what can be created. No, thank you. Thank you for bringing that up. That's I think that's yeah. that's definitely where Hollywood should be going. So um, yeah, we should have we should have open forums, you know, and it should be a safe space where if someone slips up and says something, that we that we talk about it, that we don't just jump to the end of the road. Like, right. you're banished off with your head, you know? <laughs> we like, wait a second, wait a second, stop. Mm. Why did you just say, like, what What in your education, in your family, in society, in culture, where did you get that messaging? Right. Because let's, let's talk about it, because that's actually not cool. Because some yeah. people have, like, you know, some overt comments they've made, and it's like, yeah, banished. Right, <laughs> um, right. But some people, I think, have the condition been conditioned and we actually we don't teach and no one learns when you just punish we need yeah. to actually have a real we need to have an open education on these things and it needs to be led by the people who it affects the most and those are the the diverse groups and it needs to the the leadership also needs to be shared with the less diverse groups the ones that are the, you know, in a way, you know, if you're going to paint a villain here, the villains <laughs> of the story, us all coming together and saying, let's sit down around the camp, you know, the campfire mm -hmm. and hash this out so that learning happens. I much prefer evolution versus a revolution. And right, right now right. we're in a revolution because it's needed, but I yeah. prefer that we evolve. 
Yeah, I think that's the one thing that people have really missed the point on. When the protests first started, and you know, this is taking it to a bigger context than just film, but there was a lot of backlash on like, what's going on? Why are people so angry? Why are these protests happening? Well, you have to understand, I don't mean you, I mean the world, yeah. need, needs to understand that at some point, the pot's going to boil over if it keeps getting more. Yeah, you know, it's only been a few thousand years. Why are they so mad? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> if people are willing to have an under, and I'll pull this back into what we're talking about with film, it, let's say producers and writers and executives, if they're willing to look at it in a real genuine, authentic way and say, okay, what are the opportunities we're missing? And how yeah. can we have conversations that'll create those opportunities? That, that's really where and I, my part in this doesn't make me happen. a villain. It makes me it makes me uninformed. Right. And now I'm getting informed and now I'm making change. That there are no villains here. There's no right and wrong, bad yeah. and good. It's just it's been done in a way that's hurt people and we don't want to hurt people anymore. Right. Let's move on. Yeah, definitely. It's, a, it's it, it can seem so simple, but it's amazing how difficult it can be. So it's, because it's, our, our nervous systems get triggered. <laughs> I love neuroscience and like our bodies get all upset because we feel that we feel the pain actually in our physical body. And when right. we're our nervous system, it's like being in a house that's turned up, the temperature's turned up too hot and you can't mm -hmm. get out of the house. It, it feels terrible inside. So we just yeah. panic and panic doesn't do anything for anybody. <laughs> that's really great. <laughs> A bit of a, a segue, I don't know if there's a real smooth transition into this, but I know there's two other topics that are really uh, important to you and mean a lot to you, and that's uh, one is human trafficking, and the yes. other is sexual abuse and sexual assault. So I know it's within well, the last... Well, it is actually a smooth transition because mm -hmm. these issues, when our more vulnerable population are more vulnerable to these issues to sexual right. abuse to domestic abuse to human trafficking so it's totally marginalization always leads to victimization and it, in a way it, it actually is victimization in itself but it leads further to more vulnerabilities so those vulnerabilities can include human trafficking that can include abuses in you know in the home in the community because this what is suppressed will be expressed right. so oppression can then lead to what causes these different abuses and yeah they are very they're very personal to me i i wouldn't be an actress if i had an amazing childhood but <laughs> <laughs> i i speak very openly about my story but i'm a survivor of sexual assault when i was 19 yeah. years old and i went two years ago around this time um August of 2018, during PTSD treatment, I had memories of childhood sexual abuse return. And so it's a huge, very, very, very personal thing for me, but my involvement fighting human trafficking for the last little over a decade has been a pathway to healing for myself personally, but it also is something that is one of the most atrocious things that a human can do to another human being, which is right. sell a person. And, and that doesn't matter what color you are. With it, 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 you know, it does not discriminate. It is there is a an epicenter, and that's Southeast Asia, where millions of children and men and women are are trafficked for the purposes of human labor, but also forced labor and and sex trafficking, which is specifically the field where I have found my healing and and found my purpose and found a little bit of rage along the way, <laughs> which I've had to work through. Right. It's me angry. It's mama bear anger. It's good anger. It's mama yeah. bear anger.
But so I, I actually, I'm the president of Together One Heart, which is an organization fighting human trafficking. And we have a ground team in Cambodia, but we raise global awareness, obviously, because this issue is in every country of the world. Mm-hmm. And we launched a, an amazing campaign this year on National Human Trafficking Awareness Day back on January 11th here in Los Angeles. We launched the Love Storm, which yeah. is a wonderful, amazing campaign, I, I say. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I, I would say definitely very agree proudly, with that. Very yeah, proudly, absolutely. Proud because it's, it's something, I, I think it, this experience of working with this, discovering my own traumas, both like coming out of denial and coming out of disassociation, two very different things. Denial was me shutting out my sexual assault at 19. Disassociation was my brain shutting out my my sexual trauma as a child. So coming through those took a practice that is now very personal, my daily practice of meditation and mindfulness, things that I learned from my girls in Cambodia, survivors of human trafficking. So the Love Storm events are focused on raising awareness in different cities around the world. Obviously, we got a little shut down by lovely (laughs) COVID virus, but we're relaunching it virtually on World Trafficking Day, which is July 30th. So it's coming up. You're welcome to log in. It will be online. Basically, the event the event itself is about educating on the local work in the different cities that we plan to go. So we're going to have locals like locals from these different cities now hosting virtual ones. So we'll, it'll be live from LA, live from San Jose, live from. We'll be highlighting organizations that are doing local work and then talking about the global issue, obviously, and then combining what has really been a healing element of my own personal journey and the journey of so many human trafficking survivors, which is taking the idea of modern day slavery and making it personal. It is personal because we all have, I say we all have enslaved a child. We've all locked that little inner child inside Uh of us in invisible chains and not allowed him or her to be who she truly is, to to say the things he really wants to say, to just be a kid sometimes. We we push that down, shh, be quiet. No, (laughs) be polite, be this, be that. Like, and sometimes you just wanna play or be silly or whatever. And and we, we stopped that part of ourselves. And so in the process of fighting modern day slavery to help rescue other children, I had to rescue the child inside of me. So the love storm is an invitation to to rescue children around the world, but start with yours, the one inside of you. And so we do a compassion meditation called the meta meditation. And it starts with compassion for ourselves. And then we extend compassion outward from ourselves. And we have the first meditation of the day is led by a child. And, oh, wow. and it's really cool because it's that embodiment of when we were free yeah. oh, that back before amazing. the chains on our brains happened. So. No, the, one of the things that really stuck out to me when the love storm first kicked off in January was I know there's kind of a tie-in with the love storm and wearing stormtrooper outfits. Which uh-huh. is, yes. Just seeing you and your group and you know my friend Jane or our mutual friend Jane Hong is, is definitely a, really involved with that. Just seeing you and her and other people out there marching down the street in these what to me is iconic. <laughs> uniforms from my own childhood upbringing and then now looking at them in in a totally new context I was like this is absolutely amazing what was the idea to add that as part of the campaign 
Well, you know, it's so I was obsessed with Star Wars, the original three. I never yeah. watched the other CGI ones. I was like dedicated only to Han Solo. <laughs> Anything with Harrison Ford, I was into it. But I, I had all those. I had the Millennium Falcon. Like I had the lightsabers. I, I was completely obsessed with Star Wars. I, I mean, I might <laughs> was is a strong word. I might say. Right, right. So there's two parts to answer that question. One being the stormtroopers, Jane, Seek, like the the leaders of, of the campaign with me and, and all of our amazing volunteers were crushing it, but we were burning the candle at both ends. And I started calling them my little love stormtroopers. I was like, you guys are such love stormtroopers. You're like, just like, cause they're troopers and they're love storms. I was like, you're my love stormtroopers. Oh, that's perfect. And then one day, I, I, <laughs> me with my random ideas, I was like, yeah. what if <laughs> we had love stormtroopers for real? And I just meant like as fun. Yeah. But one of the parts of this whole thing is the, the compassion meditation is that we turn the compassion on to the traffickers. Mm-hmm. And on, I turn the compassion against the, I, I turn my, my pain against the person who sexually abused me as a child. And I turn the meditation into compassion towards him. So we take something that's perceived as evil and we make it good. So here we are with Imperial Stormtrooper outfits, <laughs> the evil, the dark side. Right, right. But we put little hearts on them and now we're love stormtroopers. So in a way we that's got awesome. to actually embody what the what the campaign was about. Yeah. And I'm I just hope George Lucas doesn't mad at us. But, <laughs> but I don't see how he could be. It's amazing. It was me as a fan combined with the fact that it was this kind of this alchemy that we're doing with the meta. Yeah, yeah. That's perfect. I love the explanation for that. That's that's amazing. So you said the it'll a virtual campaign kicks off on July thirtieth. July thirtieth. Uh, yeah, it'll be uh, six six thirty AM for us LA people because we're doing it around wow. the world. So early meditation, social right, distancing right at the beach <laughs> with a few of our love stormers you know and then we'll pass the torch on to the other cities and it'll it'll become something that we do online to stay connected in this time we still do want to do the physical travel when right, we're right. allowed to but um, we'll do this for now oh that's great that's amazing I love the fact that you're able to do it in any way let alone virtual or in person or what have you yeah no, very no, grateful you- yeah, no, you had mentioned your work with Together One Heart. Is there Are there things that you're able to do right now with that organization? Yeah, we actually did the first ever black tie virtual gala back in May, I think it was. So we, we had, we, we knew everybody was at home and they were, you know, in their pajamas or pajama bottoms at least <laughs> on their meetings on Zoom. Right, right. We just thought it would be nice to like have a reason to get dressed up. So we invited anyone who wanted to join to come and donate for a ticket, like 20 bucks or something. And and then we had a silent auction and we were able to raise, I think we raised like 20 grand, which was amazing Um, and much needed funds, obviously, because nonprofits are really hurting right now. So we're thankful to be able to, to continue sending that money to Cambodia and being able to keep raising awareness. It is limiting what we can do at this stage, but yeah. Good. I'm glad you're able to do something, at least in, in that respect as well. So now Somali Mom is was the founder of Together One Heart. What, how did you get connected to her to eventually, I think you're what the CEO, or I forget what your exact title is of the company. Yeah, yeah. I'm um, I'm president and we, we mm-hmm. kind of co-founded it together because I met her back in... 2009 I believe a long time ago and I just fell in love with her I don't know how you don't we literally I, I just was coming to Cambodia and saw the work that she does 24 7 I mean that woman doesn't sleep all she does is eat sleep and breathe rescuing children 
it was that, but she also, she also in so many ways rescued me. And I was one of her girls. And even when I, when my memories came back two years ago, I flew to Cambodia and I called her. I said, I'm not coming as the president or ambassador. I'm coming as a girl you need to save because I, my whole body was being racked with like war veteran type PTSD where my body would relive the trauma and play it out like like seizure like convulsions and I would feel it in my body and like it was a whole thing and, and it was very scary because there's not a lot of conversation about this and a lot of people you know, you've got the Catholic Church calling it the, the need for an exorcism you know, because they don't understand it that's how that's how much ignorance there is you know to this and I was just experiencing body flashbacks but I didn't know what they were and Somali I get there she's like oh I think so many girls, you you take five minutes, no problem. <laughs> I was like, Somali, I'm a man. She's like, oh no, my gosh. I see it all the time. All the girls have it. It's okay. I fix you, no problem. <laughs> I'm like, wow. I'm like, try. <laughs> she's like, call her my big sister. She's That's like, try. <laughs> she's like, you're crazy. I'll fix you, no problem. And she did in one night. Mm. In one night, wow. so two of the girls who I helped put through college for psychology were my 24-7 care when I was there. Somali also stayed through the night with me and I woke up with the seizure, PTSD, the flashbacks. And she got the girls and they all centered around me and she did what I would call now that I've been through a lot of this stuff, um, I would call it a kind of, a form of intuitive healing that we don't understand a lot about because it's not measurable. It's not something you can like, oh, have the data study and then compile data and, and, and be like, oh yes, in control group number one, we had the intuitive <laughs> healing. Like, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> There's something really profound in the energy field of survivors, so peer-to-peer, -peer, and we have measured that. We have measured peer-to-peer -peer support, and we do know the profundity of, of how healing the experience of group therapy and things like that, people who've been there with people who've been through what you've been through. But what I experienced was beyond that, and at some point I will talk extensively about it because people need to understand it, and they need to know that, that just going to a therapist doesn't fix this kind of trauma. It is so much trapped in the body proper. And so so a lot of the work that Somali and my doctor together like would go on to advise me to do was somatic experience and stuff like that. But so she, this woman just, you know, she's my she's my hero and I'm lucky to call her my big sister and my best friend. And so Together One Heart is a, a very small token of a thank you to her and the girls who all they've done for me. So bring it back to you know the world of film. You as an actress, you talked about a couple years ago having these different revelations and then being able to tell your story. How did that affect you as professionally as an actress? Do you see a clear difference from before you had those revelations and those openings compared to after, like within the work that you do? Absolutely. I and it's a great question. Thank you. There were two points when I noticed the difference. And one was I had gotten more honest with myself through this healing process, right? So I started to, you know, have awareness about the deceitful, lying, manipulative little brat that I had <laughs> kind of become because you, as a survivor, you're trying to survive. So you do whatever it takes, you know? And I had these wonderful little qualities that weren't so wonderful. <laughs> uh, they made me really good at playing a villain, but they weren't so great in life and they hurt my relationships. Mm -hmm. And when I started to get really honest with myself, I noticed that I was like, I was on set and I was talking to my partner at the time. I think I was with my partner, Dom. And I was like, Dom, 
I forgot how to act. <laughs> He's like, no, you didn't. I was like, yes, I did. I don't know how to act anymore. Oh, I don't no. know what's going on. Like, because I, I thought I'm so honest, and like mm -hmm. I couldn't tell a lie, and I was like, I don't know how oh, to wow. be this person. So that was that was it, and he he laughed, and he was right. I I just had to find the truth in these moments and and that was i i had gotten kind of lazy with my ability to spin a story with my little capabilities <laughs> my little liar capabilities but the second one was soldier's revenge which happened i filmed that two months after my memories of being sexually abused as a child came back and i remember being on set and thinking this was a really stupid idea why did i decide to do a film about a woman in the 1800s where women are treated terribly to begin with and then oh, i'm no. abducted and like oh yeah. I'm, my whole body's getting triggered while i'm filming and i'm like my doctor's like i don't think you're ready for this and i was like i don't think i'm ready for this but i already signed the contract <laughs> you know what Mark, it was one of the most profound experiences because I was going through hell. And and it, the story and its intention of when the director, writer, and I spoke about it was, was to portray the hell that the soldiers go through in PTSD. And I was able to be a part of that in real life and really put in my own personal story into the moments in the film where my character Heather was being, you know, affected by all of what was going on. And I think right. that what I'm grateful for about that opportunity was PTSD affects so many people. Yeah. It does not just affect the person who carries the trauma. It affects everyone who loves them, everyone related to them, their husband, their wife, their children, their friends. PTSD and the causes of it, if we don't look deeper into the stored trauma, and I say this again, in the body, which is what PTSD brings to light, is that the body is saying, I'm in torment. And unlike in nature, in you know, Nat Geo, you see the, the antelope running from the lion. The lion gets the antelope and it drags it away. The antelope mm -hmm. freezes in time. It's kicking, it's running, but the, when it's actually there, nature is kind and doesn't want the antelope to feel death. Mm -hmm. So the, the animal shuts down, it's digestion, it's, it's breathing, all of the things, right? Well, if the lioness decides she wants dinner later, <laughs> which happens, yeah. they bring the antelope, you know, off to near the near the pride, but not necessarily in seeing hearing distance. And the antelope's nervous system determines that it's safe to wake up. It unfreezes from the moment that it froze. So you can actually see video footage of the antelope running away and kicking at the same time because it's it was still kicking when it froze. Well, when we have PTSD as adults, as humans, we start, we wake up in the kicking phase, but we don't do that until we're in a safe place. So I find someone who's a beautiful person and we fall in love and I finally feel safe and I punch him in the face <laughs> because <laughs> I just woke up from the freeze and I yeah. don't know that I'm, I don't, my body doesn't know I'm safe. I know I'm safe, but my body doesn't know I'm safe. Right. And so the panic happens from the inside out, from the bottom up in neuroscience. We talk about bottom up experience, outside in experience, mm. top down experience. Bottom up experience is my body is telling me to run. My body is telling me to kick. My body is mm. telling me to shut down and freeze. And in a relationship, the other person just thinks it's their fault, that they did something wrong, that they, that, that triggers their fight, flight, freeze response. And there's imminent doom on both sides and now we're in threat. So, so PTSD affects everyone around us, not just the person who suffers. 
brain. And the film was an amazing opportunity to <laughs> face that in my own mm-hmm. self, have to be in a professional setting where at one point I saw something like happen and like, there was just this beautiful moment with this little girl and she was playing and running and she was about the age of when my memories, like she was about six five or six and I saw her being so free and joyful and smiling and happy and I had a panic attack like I went off <laughs> not that I didn't want her to be joyful and free and happy right, right. Her, but yeah. I just had this heartbreak for that little girl that was me who was living in hell like this yeah. horrible like terrible nightmare of a childhood and that's who that little girl is who I should have been Right. And how many little girls and boys should be that little girl and aren't? So yeah, it, it has had a profound effect on my work. And, and since now, like two years later, and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I just finished a script that I wrote, and the way that story comes to me now, and the way that I want to be in story is very different than than mm-hmm. before. My I had a lot to hide before, and now right. I'm just raw, and I'm really grateful for that. No, that's amazing. Thank you for sharing that. That's powerful yeah. stuff. I appreciate that. Taking another bit of a left turn, but. Also, okay. def- but also definitely fitting your 2012 film Excision, which you mentioned earlier. You know, on one aspect of it, it's a very bloody horror movie. Fans of that genre are gonna love it or have loved it just for that fact. But what, when I watched it, which was just recently, a couple of the things that I took out of it was mental health was a huge factor in that movie. Uh, abuse was a huge factor in that movie. Bullying was a huge factor in that movie. And all of those things played a part in who your character became and mm-hmm. what she ended up doing in the movie. Yeah. Which, you know, even though the movie's been out for a while, we maybe won't go all into the ending and the spoiler territory. But can you right. talk right. a little bit about that, of just the depth, at least of what I saw within that movie and the like intent of, of creating it that way? Absolutely, and I owe a lot of credit to the director, Richard Bates Jr., who is my good friend now and done several of his films since, but he really cared about the integrity of this film to the point that he did not think he should hire me, this blonde chick from 90210, because <laughs> I had to fight him. I had to fight him to make him hire me, and he's like, he hates that I tell this story to this day. I was like, oh, I'll always tell this story, but he, he so cared about that character and, and that it was played in a way that that did justice to this narrative and part of my <laughs> part of my case that I presented to get the film was that I I was this little girl I was this this strange I was homeschooled I didn't know that I would have been a cheerleader because people would have <laughs> looked at me and said oh you look a certain way let me judge you by the way you look not by who you are and I was a little weird kid I was a weird little kid <laughs> I like I wore mid-calf socks and I never took my ponytail down I had frizzy hair out to here and, and you love Star uh, Wars like we talked about I love Star Wars I was a nerd I was a math tutor to younger kids because I was obsessed with math I never left my room like I, I was a strange little creature I still am a strange little creature but um but on the outside I'm judged for in a different way and I think that that actually has made me want to play these roles that I've played even more so because it's like no one knows me like you don't know me like you you paint me as a as this like starlit whatever blonde you know bombshell thing I don't know I and I 
I don't know her. That's not who, I just got my certification for, from a 12 week neuroscience academy course. Like I, oh, wow. I'm a nerd, you know, so the, <laughs> the way that I'm painted is not me. And playing Excision was very confronting because I had never played me before. There are some actors I think that play themselves all the time. And then there are some who are terrified to play themselves. And I was <laughs> very disassociative at the time, so I didn't know how terrified I'd be. But on set, I was very <laughs> confronted. I was very confronted with these moments where I had to be exposing of my pain that I was not ready to show, that I was hiding. And, and it was perfect, I think, in the sense of what Pauline was going through because she's a teenager who certainly wouldn't want to show those things. We, we go tough, we go, you know, strange, we go like in your face or all the things. But you see in those moments in the script, especially with between Pauline and her mother, the deep, deep wounds and the, the painful damage of marginalization, of neglect, of putting something onto a child that isn't who they truly are. And, and I resonate with that a lot because I was constantly made out to be something that I wasn't. And it makes you feel invisible. And Pauline felt invisible. And in her dreams, in her psychosexual, fantastical dreams that Ricky Bates dreamed up in, <laughs> in my dream sequences when he wrote it, she was able to be something that people saw. She was able to be seen. And, and she had to keep doing more and more ridiculous antics in order to be seen because she felt so invisible in the world. And there was no place for her. And that is that leads straight to anxiety and depression. If you were like, if we're a species that thrives on the social dynamic and, and if we are ostracized and left out of the camp, we die, the beast gets us, then to be, to be bullied and to be, to be treated the way that so many, and, and I, I, I experienced extreme trauma, right? So then people who have what's called little t trauma, they don't validate themselves. When your parent looks at you and wants you to be something else than what you are, that's traumatic for a child. So we then go into adulthood and we've never validated that pain that mom didn't see me, that what I was wasn't good enough for dad. And that those traumas are never validated. What, what do you think happens? Absolutely mental illness happens. Absolutely mental health issues come into question. What else am I supposed to do? I've got to trap all this toxicity in my body. Unlike the gazelle out, the antelope out <laughs> on the Serengeti who gets away from the lion and then does a trauma dance. They actually right, do right. these <laughs> trauma dances and they yeah. dance out the trauma from their body. We freeze and hold it inside for years and years and years and it becomes cancer. It becomes yeah. toxic dis-ease in the body, becomes disease in the body. So this, in a way, Pauline was this representation of a child who so many kids who have really great well-intentioned parents and those are the worst parents because yeah. they're the ones that you never validate yourself for being in pain over because you know that they meant well and it's actually worse that they meant well sometimes when it's just cut and dry that they that they hurt you it's mm -hmm. a lot easier to validate and they're like you know what this was bad and I needed yeah. to get healed. But when they meant well, it's a lot harder to make them the one that hurt you. And and I think that blame often goes onto the self of the child and, and shame is developed. And shame is the lowest vibrating emotional, like the frequency that shame vibrates at is the lowest frequency next to death. Oh, wow. So it's death and then shame is just barely alive. So one of the things that I thought was really crucial to Pauline's character working is yes, she was very rebellious and she, her rebellion escalated throughout the movie. Although there's also moments with, especially with her mom, but with everybody really, where she is desperately trying to connect yeah. and it doesn't work. 
and yeah. that just sends her down that that rebellion path even farther. Was like, was there a lot of discussion about those subtleties while you were making the film? You know, it was the the film. Uh, Ricky, <laughs> God bless him. I wanted to kill him. Half the movie. <laughs> I've never had a director not say anything at all. Like just <laughs> nothing. Not mm -hmm. good, not bad, just next, moving on. Mm -hmm. And so at one point, my makeup artist, my personal, he came over and he touched me up on set and I was like, is he happy? Like, what, <laughs> like, is he just like, did I just, you know, because normally on set, like when a director just moves on, it's like, oh wow, we can't work with this actor. They like, they don't even take mm -hmm. direction. Like, we're just gonna give up. So, but this was early days and I, he's like, oh, he's behind the monitor going like, yes, yes. <laughs> and I'm like, well, does he think he should share? Like, <laughs> let me know that I'm doing all right. But he really didn't, he didn't want anything to get in the way of the process because mm -hmm. he knew once he saw, I guess he saw in me once I started working, just how mm -hmm. much this role was something that was exposing of me and he let me go with it it was my insecurity that actually led it it was my insecurity in the role in whether i was doing a good job or not and him not really helping this me feel secure <laughs> but those moments like with pauline like that's the thing is we we in society and culture we define this way that you're supposed to connect mm -hmm. and if you do things in a weird strange way then you're weird and strange we don't allow for an anomaly we don't allow for the in a control group you know like we we put it off over here and, and that's how we treat people yeah. and that and pauline was put off over here in this weird box and when she did things that were her expressions of love they were misunderstood and so she was once again put into this anomaly box so strange and weird and how long can you suffer that before you go a little a little mad so i think that yeah i think that it really it was beautiful writing on behalf of ricky and i'm grateful that in that period because i didn't know myself at all because it was like 20 when i did it 21 but i'm thankful that my connection to pauline was so strong and instinctual that the insecurities i felt were able to portray that truth of her narrative that that is the truth of so many people who feel ostracized or feel that they're the weird strange i got so much out of watching that film so i'm glad that that was such a personal experience for you and it sounds like it was a personal experience for him as a director too to be able to understand like the level of what he was writing so the main thing that i pull out of that is and i feel like this is in everything that we've talked about in this interview is acknowledgement and communication like those are really the two key things the things we don't know how to do <laughs> exactly the things we don't know how to do the things that we most need to do and the things that we should be doing as individuals as hollywood as society yeah. as culture is acknowledge each other where we're at who we are and then communicate about what we want, what we need. And laugh about it, laugh about the mistakes. I mean, if we were all able to laugh about this moment right now, here we thought, you know, people always say like, can one person really change the world? One tiny little virus changed the world. Yeah. One moment, I love, I love there's a video with Gianna, George Floyd's daughter, and she says, daddy changed the world. Wow. And it was this one moment. And it's like, if we could all take a second and just laugh about how ridiculous we've been for all these years, look at one moment, how we really can change the world. We just have to own it and bring, you know, and, and it's not to say that this is a laughing matter, but it's to say that the laughter being that we're human, 
and we're we go all the way around the bush to just avoid <laughs> you know the the one tiny little prick that we might yeah. feel if we you know if we walk next to it like what? Exactly. <laughs> no i know we don't have much time left as we're sitting here so a couple quick things we talked a little bit about a soldier's revenge which thank you for explaining that your experience yeah. with that that was amazing now that is available now on blu-ray on on-demand formats through Wellgo usa a couple other movies that you've been working on feral state is going to be coming out at some point which is in post-production the holiday movie you you're working on feliz navidad with mario lopez that should be coming out during the holidays right this holiday yeah and then one thing you had mentioned you want to make sure we touch on it is power the tv show that you're on so yeah, I'm currently on the show Power, and I say currently lightly, since yeah. it's not filming, it shoots in New York. So when Mr. Mr. Cuomo decides to open up New York, then we will return to filming that. And, and we literally just, we filmed the pilot, we filmed one episode and then got shut down in March. There's not a lot I can say about it because of like super NDA, it's, it's a spinoff of 50s original Power on Stars, and it's a prequel that's set in the 90s. I play a not so nice person, <laughs> um, which I'm very used to. The, the everything, it's uh, apparently it's, it's the first episode was very well received at network and, and they're very, very happy about it. All I can say is the clothes and the music and the <laughs> storylines are on point for some really yummy, trendy drama. <laughs> so. nice. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, definitely something to look forward to. So thanks for sharing what you can. Is there anything else that you wanted to add as far as the, the primary topic of diversity in the film before we before we end the interview? You know, it's interesting. It's really cool to be on a show like Power and, and experience these beautiful, powerful storytellers and, and actors and filmmakers who are diving into the world of this urban life of in a, in a way of, of 50 and, and the world he grew up in. Mm. And it's it's just a human story. The colors are different shades and hues. But when you read the script, it's just a boy who loves his mom mm. and a kid who got hurt and hurt someone in return. It's all, it's all, it's all of our stories. And I think that, that it's been beautiful to just in the early stages to be a part of something, even in a small way, that, that really depicts just how human stories are that if we look at the story for the and don't see the color it's human and i think that that's been really nice so i hope that people more people look at story that way and sasha the showrunner is on another level like rips your heart out and stomps it on the ground so it's, oh, wow. yeah but it's, nice. it's really it's beautiful amazing conversation and amazing way to wrap things up so thank you again and hopefully we'll be able to speak again at some point and you know i just wish you all the all the best in the future thank you so much mark i appreciate it and thank you for covering such an important topic this is mark morin with the 206.com diversity in film podcast thank you for listening And that wraps up the 10th and final episode of the Diversity in Film podcast series. Thank you again to Annalyn McCord for being part of the show. That was a perfect way to cap off this series. Thank you so much for listening to the Diversity in Film podcast series. Putting it all together and having these conversations has been an incredible learning experience for me. I hope listening to it has been just as fun and just as worthwhile for you. 
I also want to give one final shout out to Lex the Lexicon Artist, who provided the music you're listening to right now. The song is called Party Hop, and you can find it on her latest album called Alter Ego. Look for it on her website at thelexiconartist.com. Stay tuned for more content coming real soon, as well as a new interview series that is currently being developed. All I can say for now is that Season 2 will feature filmmakers who are pushing the industry in new directions. Please subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on any of the content that will be coming out soon. And if you can, give the podcast a positive rating on whatever platform you use. Every little bit helps, and I appreciate it. Thank you for your support, and thank you for listening to the 206.com Diversity in Film podcast series.